hear God speak to you in the words of the book of Joshua. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, Go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from each of the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. So, When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And from verse 10 of chapter 4. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. 
the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Thanks very much, uh, Sam, for reading. Um, lovely to see you this morning. Uh, my name is uh, Johnny, pastor here at Redeemer, if we've not met before. A um, couple of quick things before we, we, we go on in. Um, Slovakia, it, is, it sounded like holiday with me. Who wants to go on holiday with me? Nobody. Um, but if you want to come and see our brothers and sisters um, from Paradox Church and spend um, a few days with them, in, um, they move, they're going to the Czech Republic, actually, for the actual holiday, then please let me know. They'd love to know numbers probably by the end of this week, ideally. So if you want more details, ask me. Um, I'll put something in the the weekly email and you can respond to that as well. The offer's there if you want to come. Rooted, you're in this this morning. Great to have you here. Um, As ever, a little question just to to keep you alert. Um, What is the crossing of the Jordan a picture of? Okay, what is the crossing of the Jordan a picture of? And one final thing. Um, please keep your Bibles open if you've got Bibles. Um, it's, uh, we're looking at a lot of um, the, the passage this morning, but there is too much there. We're not going to cover everything, um, so uh, please forgive me that we won't mention all that's in there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the vividness of your word, the way it paints pictures and describes to us truths that just on our own we wouldn't comprehend. We pray that your spirit would give us insight this morning, help us to be attentive, help us to try and understand an unfamiliar world and all that it speaks to of you and of our own journey to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're quite familiar, um, aren't we, at the moment, with stories about refugees and quite harrowing accounts of uh, refugees trying to get to safety. Years ago, I listened to a podcast series following some refugees who were fleeing the horrible war in in, in Syria and and Iraq. 
and the relief that they talk about of escaping the, the torture and the bombs and the executions. But of course, escape isn't enough, is it? It's not just about getting away from somewhere, it's about getting to somewhere, somewhere safe, somewhere that you can rebuild your life again. So these refugees, they'd made it out of Syria, but they hadn't actually arrived anywhere really. They were living in tents on the coast of Italy. See, escape isn't quite enough, is it? You need to arrive somewhere. The people of Israel are in a similar situation as we come to them in these chapters of Joshua. Forty years or so before the events of this chapter, they escaped. They escaped slavery in Egypt. They fled in the night, thousands of them with the Egyptian army chasing them from behind. They make it to the Red Sea and it feels like a trap. A body of water in front of them that they can't cross and an army coming up behind them ready to slaughter them. But then the Lord gets them out through Moses. He parts the Red Sea and they walk through as if on dry land. God's people escaped. But escape isn't enough. You need to arrive somewhere. And that is what the crossing of the River Jordan is about. It is the other half of the rescue. And because it's the other half, it mirrors the first half of the rescue. The waters part and the people walk through as if on dry land. You see, if the crossing of the Red Sea was about escaping from somewhere, then the crossing of the Jordan is about arriving somewhere. And we're going to see that for the Christian, our journey is similar. Let's think about that first point. The Lord leads his people in. So the people of Israel have been on this journey for 40 years. For 40 years, they had escaped, but they hadn't arrived until this moment. They hadn't arrived into the promised land where God said they would be able to dwell safely until this moment. And they can see their new home in front of them, but there is a problem. And that problem is the River Jordan. And this can be a formidable river. In some parts, you have to kind of hack your way through forest or jungle-like growth even to get to the edge of the river. We also know from chapter 3, verse 15, that it's in flood. And commentators say that that means that where they were crossing, it could well have been a two-mile stretch of river that they had to get through, some bits deeper than others. It is a formidable barrier to them getting across. And tragically, we know how dangerous crossing water can be, don't we? We've heard so many terrifying stories about refugees in boats not making it. You, know, you might chance it to try and wade across or get a, a couple of people to swim across. But when you have a whole nation trying to get to the other side, well, that's not going to work, is it? The River Jordan is a barrier. Imagine you've had a fantastic week or two in France and you're enjoying the holidays and you get back to Calais for the ferry. But, you know, the French enjoy a strike as much as the English and there is nothing sailing. 
You can see your home, the white cliffs of Dover, through the kind of the haze across the sea, but you cannot get there. That is how it must have been for the people of Israel. On the banks of the River Jordan, they can see their home, but they can't get there. They need the Lord. And so, verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. The Ark of the Covenant was constructed under God's instructions during the time of Moses. It was a chest, and within it, among other things, were the Ten Commandments. But the Ark of the Covenant came to represent the presence of God. And so as the Ark is carried forward, it is a picture of God leading his people, showing them the way to go. And the priests carrying the Ark head to the edge of the River Jordan. And they get a few more instructions. Chapter 3, verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. At this point, the priests don't know what's going to happen. All they know is that they need to carry the Ark of the Lord into a raging river. Now why? Because before we're told what is going to happen to this raging river, we need to know what the Ark entering the river means. It's a bit like at school. Before you do anything fun, they have to take you through the rules. Before you get a hockey stick or a football or a rugby ball, you have to make sure that you take the children through the rules because you know as soon as you give them the fun thing, they're not going to listen to a word you say. If the priests and the people were told, when you enter the river, this amazing miracle is going to happen, then they would never hear the meaning or significance. The miracle would eclipse the meaning. So first, we're told what the ark in the river means. Verse 9. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. You see, how, how will you know that the Lord your God is among you? How do you know he will certainly give you this land that he has promised and drive out the other people? Verse 11. See, behold, look, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. How do you know that the living God is amongst you? How do you know the living God will certainly bring you into your new home? Because he walks into the raging river first. And the Lord isn't just first in, he is last out. Look at verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. They stay, stay there until everyone is through. Our God, the living God, gets his people through the Jordan River by being the first in and the last out. In one of the Chronicles of Narnia stories, the horse and his boy, 
King Loon is talking to his son about what makes a good king. And he says this, it'll be on the screen. But for this is what it means to be a king. To be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. A good king is one who is first in, last out and laughs the loudest. Another day we'll talk about the Lord laughing the loudest. But Israel stands on the banks of the river Jordan facing an impossible obstacle, wondering if they will ever enter their new land. And it's not just the river Jordan. It is all the battles that are to come on the other side. They've escaped, but will they arrive? Yes, because their God is a good king. He is the kind of king who is first in and last out. First into the raging river and last out. And it has to be that way, doesn't it? Because it is the Lord, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, who holds the waters back. Chapter 3, verse 13. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Or chapter 3, verse 15. As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing, it piled up in a heap. The moment the ark enters the river, the miracle happens. The waters pile up. And the Lord stays there until everyone is through. Verse 17. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground, or chapter 4, verse 1, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Our God leaves nobody behind. He is first in and last out until everyone has crossed over. The waters that would sweep his people away pile up in a heap behind him. And he won't move until every last person is through. It's a powerful image, isn't it? Powerful picture of the glory of our God. Elsewhere in the Bible, raging waters symbolize judgment and death. That's what makes this such a powerful picture of the glory of God. The Lord stands in the way of those waters. The waters of judgment, the waters that would kill, are piling up against the Ark of the Covenant, pounding against him. And it's not the last time our God will do this, is it? It's not the last time he will stand firm, holding back the waters of judgment so that his people can enter into the land of life everlasting. As Jesus dies on the cross, he stands between his people and judgment. The waters of judgment pile up against Jesus so that we can walk through into everlasting life along dry ground. And Jesus stays on the cross until every one of his people is saved. Remember what he says when he's on the cross in John 19? When he'd received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished complete done 
It is finished. Every sin paid for. Every believer gets through. Brothers and sisters, behold our God. He is first in and last out. He leaves no one behind. He stands between his people and judgment until everyone is safely forgiven. He leads us into the land of everlasting life. Love him, worship him, adore him, rejoice in him, and make sure you follow him. Yes, the Lord leads his people in, but we must follow him in. That's our second point. The Lord will get his people safely into their new home. He is first in and last out to the raging river. But the people must follow the Lord into the river. Chapter 3, verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. If the people are going to enter the promised land, then they need to follow the Lord. They need to obey their God. Throughout these two chapters, there is a big emphasis on commands being given to Joshua, and then Joshua commanding the people, and then the people obeying. If you are going to enter into the promised land, you have to follow the Lord, which means obeying his commands. That isn't easy, is it? It is a hard thing to follow the Lord and keep his commands. Imagine standing on the edge of the Jordan. You see the wall of water banking up, heaping up, piling up behind the ark. Getting higher and higher as more and more water is heaped up. It is like a mountain of water overhanging. And then the order comes Cross over, follow the Lord. That is a hard command to follow, isn't it? That is not easy. You know, will this mountain of water cascade over me and wash me away? And so notice when they cross in chapter 4, verse 10, what do the people do? They hurried over. <laughs> I bet they did. It's not easy following the Lord and obeying his commands. But wonderfully, we see in this chapter that he gives us help. First, he gives us one another. There's a very special moment in the river crossing. The Lord enters the river first. The Ark of the Covenant is taken in by the priests. But then look who comes next. Look, if you like, who is it that crosses over first out of the people of Israel? Chapter 4, verse 12. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. You see, the thing about these men, they belong to three tribes that have already secured their land. They've already fought their battles on this side of the Jordan. They've already got themselves somewhere to live. They could have said to the rest of Israel, do you know what? We've done our fighting. We've got our land. You go through. You go and fight your own fights and get your own land. 
But not only do they cross over, they cross over first. And not only do they cross over first, they cross over ready to fight, to lead the fight for the rest of their brothers and sisters, the rest of Israel. It is hard following the Lord. It was hard walking into the river. It was going to be even harder following the Lord into battle after they had crossed. But you do not follow the Lord alone. Israel followed the Lord together. And so do we. We follow the Lord together. Great, the rooted in, rooted. Here's one for you. I know a few of you like listening to King and Country, and their song together comes on in our home now and again. Has these words in it. I'm going to make it very uncool for you to listen to this now because I am quoting it in a sermon. But here we go. If you're fighting in the fight of your life, then stand. We're going to make it through this hand in hand, and when we rise, we will rise together. Following the Lord is not easy. But he has given us one another. We help each other to choose obedience, to choose Christ, to suffer for following the Lord. We make it through hand in hand. What does that mean? Well, at the very least, it's got to mean that we pray for each other. Now, my hunch is that we're probably not very good at doing that. That we're just about managing to pray for ourselves, but we have to do better. We must pray for each other. Lord, protect my brother, protect my sister, help them to follow you. Especially if you know that somebody is going through a very difficult time, the least you can do is to be praying for them, fighting for them in prayer. But there's more, isn't there? Those who have had to sacrifice relationship or family because they're obeying the Lord, following God, they must know that they have a family who will embrace them here at Redeemer. All those who are feeling particular pressure and temptation, they must know that they are able to share that burden with others here without fear of being judged and condemned and pushed aside. We fight together as we follow the Lord. We go into battle for each other. Following the Lord is hard, but we don't follow him alone. And the Lord gives us something else to help us follow him. Not just one another, but a king to lead us. See, Joshua chapters 3 and 4, it's not just about the people getting through the river. It's about setting up Joshua as their leader, as their ruler and commander, as someone they can follow. Listen to chapter 3 verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so they may know that I am with you. The Lord wants to exalt Joshua, to raise him up in the eyes of the people so that they will follow his command. And that is what happens through this miracle, chapter 4, verse 14. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life just as they had stood in awe of Moses. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of the Lord, it cannot be carried into every battle. It has got to be settled down at some point, in some place. 
No, the way the people will follow the Lord into the promised land is by following his appointed commander, his ruler, his king, Joshua. Of course, it is the same for us, isn't it? Like I said at the beginning, there is a sense in which we are like the Israelites in chapter 3. The Lord has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And yes, even now we belong to Christ, but there is a sense in which we have not yet crossed into uh, the promised land, that we have not yet passed through our river Jordan, the land where we will have life everlasting. Like those refugees in that camp in Italy, like Israel in Joshua 3, we've escaped. But escape isn't enough. You need to arrive somewhere. And we haven't yet fully arrived. Our river Jordan, in some ways, is still ahead of us. And the Lord has given us someone who is greater than Joshua to lead us into that land. Jesus Christ. And just as he has exalted Joshua through the miracle of the crossing of the river Jordan, so he exalted the Lord Jesus by raising him from the dead that we might know that he is our king, our commander, and our ruler. And we must follow him if we're going to cross the Jordan into the land of life everlasting. But wonderfully, Jesus is exactly the kind of king that you would want to follow. The kind of king who, like his father, is first in and last out. The 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon has this beautiful description of Jesus. It's quite long, it'll be on the screen. If you serve Christ as your king, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. These 40 years and more have I served him and blessed be his name. Jesus, our great commander, our great king, will help us follow the Lord of all the earth. Because he is the Lord of all the earth. I know we find it hard, hard to remain faithful, hard to keep the commands of God, hard to choose suffering because we're obeying the commands of God. But please know this, it would be even harder if Christ was not our king. Do you remember in the last days of Jesus, when he is about to be betrayed and arrested, and he says to his closest follower, Simon Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all. Satan wants to damage and defeat Simon Peter. But what does Jesus say next? I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith won't fail. You see, Jesus, our commander and our king, he helps us to follow him all the way to glory. Just as he prayed for Peter to ensure that in the midst of that temptation, his faith would not fail. So he does the same for us. Or as Spurgeon put it, he is always in the thickest part of our battles. He is always carrying the heaviest part of our cross. 
He walks with us and prays for us so that our faith won't fail until we reach the edge of the Jordan. He is a king who helps us enter the promised land. And so we follow Jesus now and he leads us to the edge of the Jordan and then through. Just as we close. In the past, brothers and sisters have understood that the river Jordan is a picture of death. Among other things, but a picture of death. If we're going to get somewhere, if we're going to make it into the land of everlasting life, then we will need to cross through that river of death. There's an old hymn I used to sing. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. One day we will stand on Jordan's stormy banks and between us and glory there will be death and we will have to pass through. But know this, when we get there, we will not pass through alone. Our commander, our king, the Lord Jesus will lead us through the stormy waters of death and into glory. And he will lead us through on dry land because the judgment of death cannot keep its hold upon us. A Christian poet put it like this. A swelling Jordan rolls between a timid pilgrim eye. But grace shall order all the scene and Christ himself be nigh. He shall roll back the foaming wave, command the channel dry. No sting has death, no victory grave with Jesus in my eye. Yes, it is hard to follow God to the promised land, but he helps us. He gives us one another and he gives us the Lord Jesus. One day we will stand on Jordan's stormy banks and Jesus will get us across. He shall roll back the foaming wave, command the channel dry. No sting has death, no victory grave with Jesus in my eye. God will bring us home. As we finish with this promise from Isaiah 43 verse 2. The Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Remember the choir, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, some of us are only too aware that one day we will have to walk through the Jordan, that we will have to go through death. I suspect others here, that just seems like an unreality, something that will never happen. But Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for that moment, whenever it is, by reassuring them that the Lord Jesus will get us through on dry land. Help us, as you have led the way, to follow you. Help us to help one another. 
Help us to follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.